I just want to thank the, thank the worship team. Um, it's been just amazing to watch the consistency and, and commitment of the worship team consistently coming out, rehearsing, preparing, and, and coming to worship um, and lead us into the presence of God. I mean, uh, even Jesse made it through childbirth and made it through all that. Okay, our drummer. Anyway, just kidding. Um, it's traumatic for a guy, isn't it? Anyway, I just wanted to thank them for their ministry to us every Sunday. It's consistent, so God bless you guys. Chippy, the parakeet, never saw it coming. One moment he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She had barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped and put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened up the bag. There was Chippy, alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy. Never knew it hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. No wonder, sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. That was by, told by Max Lucato. Can you relate to Chippy? Okay, maybe not today, but earlier, whatever. <laughs> Everything seems stable, secure, safe, and predictable, and then <laughs> circumstances come, and they, they kind of suck you in, they wash you up, they blow you away. Circumstances that we all experience. Well, last week, we continued on a very important sermon series, a series on the issue that touches every one of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not, entitled Invisible, it's a series on spiritual warfare. In our life, we acknowledge from time to time that we are in a war. We're in a war. Now, it appears to be, we're going to review a little bit, it appears to be political wars, wars of ideas, culture wars, value wars, wars over traditional marriage, abortion, women's rights, sexual identity, socialism versus capitalism, immigration, gun rights, and we can go on and on and on. And even though this warfare works its way out in the realm of ideas, politics, values, and rights, the real battle is invisible. The real battle is invisible. It's the invisible war. It's the spiritual war. Spiritual war. Ephesians 6, 12, and we're just going to review this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour you. There is 
a war. We have an opponent called the devil or Satan. As we said, God is all-powerful and God is sovereign, but Satan has an obvious influence and a powerful presence in our world. What does God allow Satan to do, and what are the indications of spiritual attack? We're seeking to answer some of those questions. In other words, how do we know it's the devil that's responsible? And what are our weapons? What do we fight with? What do we have in our arsenal to fight in the heavenly realm? Some people try to deny that Satan has any power, or they try to, try to minimize his role in history and the affairs of people. And the Bible does indeed teach us to worship God, but be aware of Satan. Last week, we looked at the, the three battlegrounds, three battlegrounds. And again, if you miss any of these series, these are all online on our website, ecwesleyan.net. You can click on the message and listen to it online. And if you are listening online right now and you want the notes, you can email the church office, ecwesleyan.net, office at ecwesleyan.net, and, and get those notes sent to you. And there are filled out notes with all the passages at the back as you leave if you want the notes for today's message as well. Most of us know this fact. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. A great positive biblical statement. And many of us have discovered the truth of that statement. Conversely, the other statement that is equally true is Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. What a negative statement, but it is true. He's seeking people to devour. He says he's like a lion. Picture a lion, or if you want, you can, a vacuum cleaner waiting to suck you in. Satan's plan for all of us as people, human beings, is destruction. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We looked at that last week. And 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, in order that Satan may not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. We need to be aware, not alarmed, but aware. Satan's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. We looked at the three battlegrounds last Sunday, the mind, the heart, which are the affections, and the mouth, the mouth. Today, we're going to look at spiritual authority lost and restored. Spiritual authority lost and restored. And we're going to begin today with some foundational truths to understand how this warfare began. What is this fight all about? And what is spiritual authority? What is spiritual authority? Authority is defined as the power or the right to give commands, enforce obedience, or take action. Okay? Give commands, enforce obedience, or take action. And spiritual authority then would mean the power or right to give commands, enforce obedience, or take action in the spiritual realm. We, however, hesitate to exercise spiritual authority. Somehow we seem to be convinced that we, we just don't have that power. I mean, the minister, he probably has it. People who do exorcisms, spiritual giants have that power. Jesus did, and the disciples did, but me, you know, I, I don't think so. Besides, this is kind of weird. This is weird stuff to me. If someone asked you, do Christians have authority over all the powers of darkness and demonic forces and Satan? Most of us would probably say, yes. Theoretically, I suppose that's true. Theologically, yes, but don't ask me to do anything about it. 
okay? Don't ask me to get involved. When it comes to spiritual warfare, when we are under attack in our minds, our hearts, our mouths, we begin to doubt. The roaring lion or the howling vacuum cleaner are just, it's just too intimidating. So we hide or we ignore or we avoid. Then we have a wake-up call, kind of like September 11, where we discover that we do have an enemy that's out to destroy us. Our destruction. Until that time, the battle is out there or over there or somebody else's battle. It's not, it's not me. And we all sometimes need a personal wake-up call, a personal 9-11 that alerts us to the fact that we have an enemy that's out to get us, every single one of us. Aware, not alarmed, alert, not afraid. We come to church, sing great songs of praise, and we leave on Sunday feeling confident, but by Tuesday or Thursday, we feel weak and we feel defeated. I felt good about it Sunday, but I don't know about today. And the problem is that we confuse our authority with feelings. We confuse our authority with our feelings. Or we think of of authority as a personality type. Uh, He's a man of authority, or she is a very authoritative person. And since I'm kind of reserved, I'm shy, I I kind of back away. Well, authority is not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of fact. Authority is not a matter of personality type. Authority is a matter of legality. Legality. Our basis of authority is legal. It's a matter of legal authority. What do I mean? A single police officer can stand in the middle of a road and hold up his hand. He can stop a huge semi-truck or a whole bunch of traffic just by raising his hand. Why? Because he has legal authority to do that. Dean Sherman writes, our authority is a legal reality that does not waver because of unbelief, and it is as real as any transaction. He goes on to compare it to a legal arrangement like marriage. Marriage. Now, if I ask people if they're married, they never say, well, I'm not sure. Or, I hope so. Or, Sometimes I feel married and sometimes I don't, okay? If I ask people, are you married? It's always yes or no, okay? I've never had that. I don't know or I'm not sure. It's always yes. Are you married? Yes. Why? Why can they answer yes or no? Because marriage is a legal arrangement with a document to prove it, okay? Feelings, thoughts, or personality types do not change a legal reality. So how you feel that day, it doesn't matter. You're still married, okay? Now, for us to understand authority and how it works, we have to start in the beginning because spiritual authority is a legal reality. Spiritual authority is a legal reality. You have that legal reality. So let's start at the beginning, literally. At the creation of the Garden of Eden. Let's look at Roman numeral one, when spiritual authority was given. Spiritual authority was given. Genesis 1.26 said, Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, God gave man or mankind dominion, rule, and authority over all the earth. Authority. God also gave people free will. So authority belonged to God, but he gave some of it. He delegated it to 
mankind. And he's never taken it back. People still have authority today. We still have free will, too. And that's why people can and do all kinds of things. They do good things and they do evil things. And God doesn't stop them because they have the authority and they have the ability to act, free will. Spiritual authority was given. Then we find, number two, that spiritual authority was lost. When was that? Where was it lost? Well, we get further in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." This is foundational. This is going to be be a little heady for for all of us as we look at this this morning. But as the story unfolds in the Garden of Eden, we find Satan also there in the form of a serpent. Now, why did Satan approach Eve? What was his agenda? Was he going to try to deceive her? Yes. He wanted to get back at God. He wanted to hurt him. But even more than this, Adam and Eve had something of incredible value to Satan. Satan wanted the authority God had given to people. Very important. He wanted the authority that God had given to people. So he tempted Eve, and what he was really saying is, why don't you sign over some of your authority to me? Dean Sherman says, Satan knew that if that man could use the authority given to him, When man disobeyed God, Satan was able to usurp man's authority. Just as God transferred some of his authority to man, so man passed it on to Satan. He usurped God's authority given to man. Satan doesn't have total authority. He cannot rule the world. He operates today as he did in Eden by usurping what God had given man. And man gave his authority to Satan, but Satan can only use his authority through man, through people. He can only influence the world to the degree that people choose to sin and live in disobedience, okay? He exercises his authority by usurping it and causing people to sin. God does his work through people. Satan does his work through people. And the question is, to whom do we grant that authority or obedience? To God or to Satan? Where is that? Satan usurped God's authority by seducing man to sin. Therefore, man gave Satan power or authority. Does that make sense? Okay. Basically, by sinning, we give in to that and we allow Satan to have his way rather than being in submission to God. So what are the results of lost authority. The results, letter B. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
So what are the results of this, this giving over of authority, the loss? First of all, it was enmity. They became enemies or adversaries, Satan and the woman, and Satan and the woman's offspring. Who, who were the woman's offspring? First of all, it was all, all people, all people, letter A. And since we're descendants of Adam and Eve, people, Satan is our adversary. Satan, our adversary, seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, usurping your God-given authority. There's a, there's a battle for control between Satan and all human beings. And he gains control when we sin and allow him to have authority. The second enmity of the woman's offspring is the nation of Israel. Nation of Israel. Um, in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. I don't know if I have this in there or not, but you can look at it later if you need. This is the, this is the verse. Passage, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was to bless all people, including us, through Abraham. How? Because eventually the Messiah, Jesus, was going to come. So there was enmity now between Satan and all people, the nation of Israel. And letter C specifically has to do with Jesus. Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, but when the time had come, finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Jesus Christ is also the woman's offspring. So the first result of this lost authority was enmity, enmity between the woman's offspring, which includes us, includes Israel, included Jesus. The second result of lost authority is sin and death, sin and death. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men because all had sinned. So we begin to have death and sin. It's a result of lost authority. The third result is warfare. Warfare, number three. The whole testament is a historical record of God bearing the offspring of woman through the nation of Israel in order to bring Jesus Christ into the world. And the verse that says, Jesus would crush Satan's hand or render him powerless, and Satan would strike his heel or wound him, not destroy him. The Old Testament is a history of Satan's attempts to corrupt the offspring or destroy the offspring. Some people say, why is the Old Testament so violent? God was bringing the offspring of the women, of the woman, Israel, the nation of Israel, forward to that day of the promised Messiah, Jesus, so that the whole world could be saved. Satan knew enough of the plan that he says, I have to destroy these people of God. I've got to destroy them. Destruction. And the, this, this destruction was kind of in two parts. The first one was, was covert, which was corruption. Covert. When you read the Old Testament, you find that Satan was always trying to get Israel to worship false gods. They forsake the true God, intermarry, lose their faith, lose their distinction as a nation or people of the one true God. And all throughout history, 
the battle was trying to get, get Israel to lose their worship of the one true God. You go through Kings, Chronicles, you look at Samuel, all the, all the books of the Old Testament. There was always an attempt to corrupt the nation of Israel so that, that he could destroy them. And God had to continually set judgment on the Jews to get them to return to the one true God. Happens over and over and over again. Gideon is the one, one of the most ob- obvious uh, I mean, the book of Judges with, with Gideon and some of the judges, most obvious example of this cycle of judgment because they would try to forget God, they would forget God, he would save them and things would go great for a while and then they'd forget God, etc. This cycle, he sent judgment. Corruption. The temptation of Jesus in Luke 4 was Satan trying to corrupt Jesus. Corruption. We have corruption today. Trying to subvert the church and neutralize the church, corrupt the church. Secondly, that's the, that's the covert part of warfare. The overt is destruction. And we also read all through the Old Testament, Satan continually incited the godless nations around Israel to attack her, to destroy her. Satan has constantly tried to attack and destroy Israel. There is no other explanation for the modern truth of anti-Semitism. What's, what's, what's with the Jews? Why does everybody hate the Jews? Is this anti-Semitic thing. Most well-known, Nazi Germany. But the Jews have been targeted for destruction for centuries. Look at the book of Esther. Look at all throughout the Old Testament, all through history. They tried to destroy the Jews. Why? Because Satan set up that enmity between the woman's offspring and Satan. He set it up. Why anti-Semitism? There's no other group of people or nation had this issue. The Norwegians, the Swedes, Asians, Hispanics. You name the nation, there's not been this total fight to destroy this nation anywhere except Jews. Why? Because Satan. Satan has set up that enmity from the beginning. Satan wants to destroy him. Look at the first part of Luke. Satan incited Herod. To do what? To try to kill all the infants in Bethlehem in order to destroy the Messiah. And Jesus had to escape to Egypt to to do that. And then Satan's final attempt to destroy Jesus, the Messiah, the woman's offspring, was to murder him, to have him crucified. This is where it gets really interesting. To have Jesus crucified. This was Satan's attempt to destroy the woman's offspring, the seed, from, that was predicted way back in Genesis. And what do we find? 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8. Very interesting passage. Paul writes, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the, the, the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. This is God's secret He carried all these years a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. This was his plan. It said none of the rulers of this age, none of the the rulers of this age, not only on earth, but heavenly rulers, all that, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known that killing the Messiah was going to be victory, they would never have done that. They didn't know. It was hidden from them. This was God's plan. It said nobody knew. 
defeating the enemy, not through power, but through humility. Winning the war, not through selfishness, but through sacrifice. John 10, 17 to 18 says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. This is Jesus speaking. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. An amazing thing. This whole story starting in Genesis and comes through 1 Corinthians and says, they would not have crucified him. This enmity that was established at the very beginning finally reaches its culmination where they murder the Son of God, the fruit that they were thinking this is going to be the end. <laughs> I'm sorry, just the beginning. Just the beginning. The fourth result of lost authority is to neutralize. Satan wanted to render powerless. And we grant Satan authority when we doubt, which is the opposite of faith, when we fear, which is Faith in the devil. John Dawson says, fear is faith in the devil. Or we rebel against God. If we reject God's authority, we play right into Satan's hand by giving in to him. Well, Satan attacks us, all of us, in the same ways that I've just described. Enmity, he will always be our enemy. Warfare, he will have covert warfare. He will try to corrupt us. He will try to undermine our morals, our truth, our righteousness, our mind, heart, affections, our mouth. Satan will do the same kinds of covert types of seduction, and he's doing it in the church today. And you see the slide into the loss of morality and, and moving into uh, away from traditional marriage and, and moving into all kinds of nonsense. And the, the most absurd they were, they were talking about defending the, uh, a certain type of abortion, late-term abortion, where it basically dismembers the baby. And this woman said, well, it's about the woman's health. Really? The woman's health? I mean, it's, just, it's just like, you, you can't make this stuff up. It, it's gone so far. But it didn't start there. It started very subtly in different ways. And now it's gone to the point where you're saying, this is total absurdity. Totally blind and totally apostate, totally evil, murdering 60 million babies over the last 50 years. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Covert, he will try to corrupt us first, and he's corrupted many people. And then the, the warfare that's overt, he will seek our destruction, he'll steal our peace, he will promote death, which is what he does. He's in his death. 1 John 5, 1 John 1, 5 to 7 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's the counteraction to Satan's work. Well, let's look very, very quick, quickly at the spiritual authority restored. Roman numeral three. Spiritual authority restored. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. I've got, I've got several verses here. I'm going to read through. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ, with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, 
having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's where he won. Romans 5, 12, and 18 and 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Adam sinned, sin entered. Jesus died. Sin was paid for. So how is our spiritual authority restored? Letter A, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. This is not limited in scope by time. God placed all of our sins on Jesus at one time, one place. And our sins were paid for once for all. I don't have time to go into Hebrews, but basically it talks about the, being the sin sacrifice once for all, not having to repeat it or do it many times. That's the penalty of sins, the legal reality. We are free from the legal obligation to pay for our sins and the power of sin. We don't have to be under its dominion anymore. Authority is restored because Jesus died. Secondly, and this is kind of an interesting part, this is a little more complicated, Jesus descended into Hades. Now, there's not total agreement on every part of how this is interpreted, but Ephesians 4, 8 to 9 says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Hades was the abode of the dead. Paradise was... For believers, it was a place of comfort. For unbelievers, it was a place of torment. If you want to read, read the story of rich man and Lazarus, it gives some uh, uh, elucidation to that. First Peter 3, 18 and 19 says, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus proclaiming? We don't understand these as well as we'd like to. But basically, wherever Jesus went to Hades, he declared victory. He said, you are set free. And then he gave gifts to men. He gave people the Holy Spirit. So after he was crucified, it says he descended into the lower parts, Hades, wherever that is. We don't know where, we don't know where heaven is. We don't know, yeah. But basically, he ascend, descended in there, and then he ascended. And he took back all the authority lost to Satan. 1 Peter 3.22 says, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I don't have that in your notes. You can put that. 1 Peter 3.22 if you want to write that down. So Jesus was crucified. He descended into Hades. Then C, Jesus was resurrected. Was resurrected. Matthew 28.18 says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He took all authority back. Revelation 1.18, I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. And then he ascended into heaven. Now, a couple passages real quick here. The first one is Ephesians 1.18-23. The reason I put these there, and you, they're, they're uh, outlined and, um, in, in the notes in the back, so you can read them again, because this is a lot of stuff we're covering. If you're going, oh, can't believe all this stuff, that's okay, you're not alone. 
but we're trying to get through this. So, Jesus ascended to heaven, Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness who fills everything in every way. So we have authority restored, finally, letter E. Luke 10, 18 says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and overcome all power of the enemy. All power of the enemy. Jesus died, descended into Hades, was resurrected from the dead, ascended. He says, I give you power over all power, authority over all power of the enemy. First John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, okay, the one who's in you, the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Never forget that. Never forget that greater is the one Greater is Jesus by his Holy Spirit in you than the one that is in the world. Satan doesn't want you to know that. You've got in yourself, you've got the spirit of the living God, and that is greater than the enemy. That's why he has to bark and bite and roar, but he cannot touch you, and he cannot do anything. You have the power. You have the power. So what does all this mean? You don't have to be kicked around by Satan. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus won. Jesus took back the authority and he turned around and gave it to his followers, to you and me. Satan can attack you but has no authority to defeat you. He can roar but he cannot bite. He can intimidate but he has to run. He can bluff but he has to flee. He has no authority and he has no power as long as we don't give him any. You have the authority given by Jesus. No matter how you feel, no matter your personality, no matter how long you've been a believer, a week or 40 years, you have the authority. Spiritual authority given. Lost, now restored. We've got it. And no weapon, no weapon formed against you will prosper ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have restored authority. And God, we don't understand all the things. We can look at all history. We can see the sequence of events, what happened when we lost it, how you brought Israel, the nation, how you brought your people, the people of God, through this whole process, how, how Jesus came and, and what, what seemed to be the ultimate destruction and the ultimate loss was actually the ultimate victory because Jesus laid down his life to bring us to God, to restore us to that power. All hidden from, from the very beginning of history, Lord, we are in awe 
Jim, we were just in awe at how you, this plan you had worked out and how we are recipients of that for eternity. And God, I pray that we will live in and live and breathe and move in that authority that you've given to us. We don't have to be intimidated. I pray, God, that you will continue to equip us and strengthen us and give us faith and not fear. And that we would walk with you on a daily basis, not allow Satan to have any inroads into our life. Don't give anything over to him, but worship you and worship you alone. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.